0: The Christian life is a lot deeper than it seems, or at least it should be. A lot of people live in a search of an experience, a greater depth to life, and of course, for those who have yet to encounter God, they need to experience Him. But that journey, that search for a greater experience of life doesn't end at becoming a Christian, but it actually really just begins the best part. As followers of Jesus, we should have a great desire to live a life that leads towards not just our flourishing, but the flourishing of our communities, our world, and most importantly, our lives should lead towards the glory of God. And I think most of you watching this today would be with me. You'd say, yeah, I want to know God more. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to make a difference in the world. And the question isn't of our desire. The question is how? How do we do it? How do we go about it? What's the roadmap to get me from where I am to where I want to be? And this, of course, is where the Bible, in particular the Gospels, are helpful because they show us how Jesus lived. They provide for us what Jesus modeled in his day-to-day life, but also what he taught that coincided with that. And we can look at those two things and examine what it looks like to live a full life, a rich life, a life of experiencing and encountering God on the regular. And one of the things that we see most particularly sort of acutely with Jesus is this fact that he regularly participated in these different spiritual practices. We saw him praying. We see him fasting. We see him spending time in silence and solitude away from all the crowds. We see him serving and benefiting those who are in need we see that God does a lot of things as he walks about the earth and we know about these things for many of us we can name a whole bunch of different spiritual disciplines or these different spiritual practices which we know about and read about in the Bible some which I mentioned Jesus did and then there's many more But as Jesus modeled these things, he didn't just sort of do it and leave the disciples to figure it all out on their own, but he also gave teaching. And in some places, that teaching came as a warning. You've seen what I've done. You've heard what you're supposed to do, but this is what you shouldn't do so that you get the most out of what you are participating in. One of Jesus' concerns, and we read about this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, is that people would go about practicing their right living, practicing their faith in the wrong way. Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, for if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so today, we're continuing looking at the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, where we see Jesus flowing from that first verse where he says, be careful not to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And we saw the first week after we looked at that, Jesus spoke about prayer. And then the next week, we looked at how Jesus spoke about giving to the needy. And this week, we look at what he has to say about the spiritual discipline of fasting. If you've got your Bible, I hope you've turned there. If not, join me as I read Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. Jesus said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So let's Start coming out of that, obviously talking about what fasting is. Because Jesus starts here, he says, when you fast, and for some of us we're familiar with this concept, others maybe not, and that's okay, but fasting is really just a a word for the discipline of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. When we fast, we give up eating so that we can spend time connecting with God. And we read about this practice all throughout the Bible. We read about it in the Old Testament and New Testament. We can see a number of leaders throughout Scripture who model this discipline of fasting. We have Moses, King David, the prophet Elijah, Daniel, Queen Esther, the prophetess Anna, the apostle Paul, and Jesus himself. All of these individuals fasted as a means of encountering God. And not only do we see in the Bible that there are these individuals who fast, but we know about these different feasts and celebrations in which the Israelites would participate uh, together as a people in worshiping God. But some of them, as well as them being feasts and celebrations, would begin with a period of fasting. We see this in celebrations like the Day of Atonement or in the Jewish New Year. Now, nowadays, people have taken fasting to uh, all sorts of different places and different environments of their life. People have decided to abstain from social media or from sugar or junk food, or they've decided to abstain from other particular habits or patterns of life. And Fasting has actually become woven into non-spiritual elements of our lives. We see that people will do intermittent fasting for the health benefits and weight loss and insulin regulation. We've seen other people will fast when they struggle with addiction so that they can give up something as a means of breaking their dependency on it but whereas some people will still continue this practice. And that's what we want to continue, is the practice that we see in Scripture, which is this ancient tradition of stopping eating so we can start to focus on God. Now, when we bring up this idea of fasting, I think one of the natural questions that comes up is, but do I have to? And it was funny, actually, earlier this week, I was talking to my oldest daughter about what I was going to be preaching on this week. And I said that I was going to talk about fasting. And she said, well, what's fasting? And so I kind of explained, just like I did here, what fasting is. And her response to me was this. She said, Jesus said, what? Why would he tell people to do that? That sounds like a terrible idea. And I think what's, what's kind of funny is I resonate with that on a certain level. There's been so many times in my life where I've considered the spiritual discipline of fasting and been like, why, God, have you made this something that, that we should do or that we might want to do as a means of connecting with you? And in fact, you, you'll wrestle with that as you go through Scripture because one of the things we see in the Bible is that it doesn't have an explicit command to fast. There's nowhere that you'll turn, that I'm aware of, that you'll see it say, thou shalt fast. It just doesn't exist. There's no place where the Bible says you have to do this. But while there's no place that says you have to do this, there's plenty of places that show us that we probably should. And in fact, here in Matthew chapter 6, we see that there's an assumption of Jesus that we will participate in fasting. We see that he says when you fast and not only does he say when you fast but look where this passage is found. It's found connected to uh, the passages about giving to the needy and passages about praying. The things that we assume and know we should do as followers of Jesus. And so there's this connection that Jesus makes, that there's this assumption that we would be participating in this. In fact, in a a number of weeks in the future here, we'll get to a passage elsewhere in Matthew where Jesus will tell his followers that they will be fasting when he's gone from being with them. And we know, of course, by the context, the reason why Jesus says that they're not fasting while with him, but they will fast one day when he's not with them, is because fasting is a means of experiencing God. And so that's just one of the couple of purposes that we see for fasting. So we have this first purpose, which is to center our focus and attention on God so that we can experience him. And the second purpose that I think we see in Scripture is that it reveals the things that control us. So let's look at those two purposes, centering our focus on God and revealing the things that control us. Well, first, fasting centers us on God because it's the nature of the practice. When we fast, we stop eating food, we stop preparing food for a certain time period. And during that time period, the intention is that we would worship God, and we can do that in all sorts of different ways. And we'll get that to that in a bit when we talk about practicing the act of fasting. But we have this good focus. And the reason we have that focus is it helps us to align our thinking. How fasting works is it says, well, there's something that I like. There's something that sustains me and that makes me feel good, and that's food and I'm going to set that aside to focus on something that's more important. I'm going to focus on something, in fact, I'm going to focus on someone that actually sustains me. Earlier on in Matthew, when we looked at Matthew chapter 4, we saw this passage that talked about how every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what sustains us. When we fast, we say, I'm going to give up what sustains me for the temporary to focus on feeding, on feasting on what sustains me for life. So many people have the wrong view of fasting, and we come to this place where we say, Jesus said what? Because we see fasting as deprivation, as starvation, as, as a miserable thing. Instead of seeing fasting for what it can be, fasting is feasting it's feasting on god it's spending time connecting with him taking in all that we can take in while removing everything else and that's where that second purpose comes in this idea that fasting reveals what controls us food really does control us and i don't know how much you've given thought to that but we often moderate ourselves using food. And this is something that goes down through history. For instance, in Psalm 69, verse 10, David wrote this. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting. Have you ever noticed that when you're hungry, you see more anger, more bitterness, more jealousy, more fear, more pride, maybe more lust? These things all surface within us when we get hungry, I mean, have you ever noticed that you might be at your worst when you're hungry? I know I have. For instance, early on in my marriage, uh, we would have to plan shopping days around snack times. And that's because if we would go to the mall for too long, I would just get withdrawn and grumpy and kind of bitter and Amy didn't want to walk around the mall with that guy and so we would go and we would regularly take snack and lunch breaks so that I would keep going throughout the day and we've even come as a society to coining a term around this we say we're hangry We're angry because we're hungry. And it's this common thing that's actually become sort of a joke in our society. I've seen signs that people hang up in their kitchen that says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hangry. In fact, one of my favorite things that I've seen that has sort of encaptured society's view of of the bad stuff that comes out of us when we're hungry was featured in a 2009 Snickers campaign. I don't know if you remember this, but in 2009, Snickers launched this campaign and its slogan was, You're Not You When You're Hungry. And my favorite one of all those ads was the Super Bowl ad they had that year. And it, it, it features all these guys playing football in a muddy field. You know, they're all in their shirts and their, their sweats and they're kind of muddy and sweaty and they're playing hard and guys are crashing into each other. And then all of a sudden, as the camera pans, you see little old Betty White trotting through a field of men and she's kind of running like this and she's got this powder blue and white little leisure suit on with all her jewelry on and she's kind of trotting along when all of a sudden bam some guy just tackles her into the mud and after sort of the dust settles one of the teammate comes over to Betty White and he says Mike what are you doing you're playing like Betty White out there And then someone, of course, hands Mike or Betty White the Snickers bar and says, Mike, you're just not you when you're hungry. Betty White then eats the Snickers bar and is magically transformed into this buff, handsome football player. You're not you when you're hungry is the message that we have been conditioned to consider. But what if that's not really what's happening when we're hungry? I mean, David, the psalmist, who was very connected to uh, the, the disposition and attitude of his heart and mind, wrote that he was humbled in his spirit with fasting. What if what happens when we fast is that our real selves come out? What if the anger, the bitterness, the the jealousy, the lust, the pride, what if those things that come out of us and sort of rear their ugly heads when we're, we're hungry while shopping or when we're dealing with our family when we haven't eaten in a while, what if those things are really the disposition of our soul? As I considered that this week, I actually have to be honest, I didn't really like thinking about it i didn't like thinking about going back to those early days in marriage in the mall i didn't like thinking about the times of upset that i have now when i'm hungry some of the things that come out of me because frankly i can be a bit awful when i'm hungry i think if we look at scripture there's more to this than meets the eye i mean if we look deeply at it we see that satan was most forceful in his attempt to tempt Jesus when Jesus was hungry in the wilderness. Satan knows that people are at their worst when they're hungry. Now if you're like me, you don't really want to see the ugly side of yourself come out, and so you eat when you think that might be coming out. You grab a Snickers, you grab a drink, whatever it might be, you consume it to sort of, you know, calm down the beast within. You sort of try to turn the dragon into a kitten by eating some food. But what the danger is, is that the dragon still lies within. And so as I've considered this topic of fasting, I've wondered what if God gave us fasting not just as a way of connecting with him, but so that we could be more like him. So through our fasting, through allowing the hunger to well up inside of us, we would be able to, in that place, meet with God so that his spirit could begin to chip away at all that we do not want to be. What if in our place of hunger, we come and meet the hunger with our hunger from God uh, to allow ourselves to be renewed and transformed by him? I think that's what God was talking about when, he, when Jesus speaks about us receiving a reward from participating in fasting with him. But before he got there, he also talked about this pretentiousness that had come with fasting in Jesus' day. Sadly, what people do, because, well, we're people, is they take these things that should be done in the right way for the right reason, and they say, hey, there's actually another benefit I can get for myself by doing this the wrong way. And so they take this opportunity to connect with God through fasting, and they say, I'm going to make this all about me. And we see this in verse 16. It says, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. You see, in Jesus' day, the practice of fasting was super popular. I mean, we have to remember his culture carries both a cultural and a spiritual heritage. The Jewish people were very proud of of who they were, and not just as a cultural identity, but as a spiritual identity. But the problem is, some people realized that in that identity, they could get a leg up over other people by participating in spiritual disciplines so that they look better. And so they would participate in fasts, whether it was uh, uh, an individual fast or a, a public fast, and They would really go into it, and they would suffer, and they would get feeling gross, and so they felt distorted. You know, it says they have these distorted faces, and they would kind of curl up and be like, Oh, I'm in such agony. I've given up so much to connect with God. And people would look at them and be like, Wow! Look at their sacrifice. They they must really be connected with God. They must really know what it's like to to connect with him. And they would receive the the, the praises of other people. And and they would seem better in the society in which they lived. And so people would say, wow. But Jesus said, no way. While people received their praise from other people in that, Jesus said, that's all you're going to get. That's as good as it gets because that's not what fasting is all about. Now it's easy to marginalize that and look back through history and say, well, well, that was just them because of their cultural and religious identity and, and that's not really what happens today. But I would actually urge us to consider that maybe it is. In fact, I remember my first experience with fasting was similar in some ways. I remember when I was a middle school youth group student, we went to this massive youth conference in Edmonton and and one of the speakers got up and I just really remember connecting with what he had to say and he talked about how people in the Bible had taken these 40-day fasts and through these fasts they had connected greatly with God. And so he urged us as teens to consider setting our life on a course by participating in a 40-day fast. And my friends and I, we, we got kind of pumped about this idea, so we bought the speaker's book. And along with a, a group of my friends, we decided to commit for 40 days to eating no junk food. Now that might seem like a simple thing and kind of laugh, but as a grade seven boy who went to Seven Eleven every single day to go get a Slurpee and five-cent candies at lunch hour, this was a big sacrifice for me. And so I thought, man, I'm doing a great thing here. And over the 40 days, my friends and I would connect up at, at youth group and we'd talk about how spiritual we were being and how awesome we were doing that we hadn't, you know, slipped up this week and, and we're doing so awesome. But as we compared that and you know, felt good when we did good and our friend didn't do as good, we realized, or at least did, that we were empty deep down inside, that there wasn't really the benefit that we were searching for. And I remember talking to uh, my friend uh, Brad about this afterwards and we kind of connected and talked about it and, and we both felt like we hadn't really seen any of the difference that was happening. All we felt was miserable that we couldn't have our Slurpees and our five-cent candies. And so at the end of this 40 days, I felt like it was all a waste. I actually kind of felt disappointed in God that he hadn't shown up. And that was the moment where I was sort of on this track to say, you know what, I'm going to give up on fasting. But I felt that the Holy Spirit was telling me to do something, and I really just sensed that I should go back to that book and read and consider what god wanted to say to me in it and i remember opening up and in the middle of one of the chapters that i read right there was exactly what we read about in matthew today it says whoever fasts like a hypocrite and gets praise will receive the that reward in full but it's the person who does it unseen that receives the reward from their father in heaven and i remember being like wow that changes thing and so As I have gone from that place to trying another fast back then or having periods of other fasts in my life to this point today, I have realized that when I approach fasting with the right heart, that I want to connect with God, that I want to deal with the other stuff within, and it's not about the praise of other people or other people knowing that I'm doing it, I have encountered God and seen his reward. This is one of the things that I love about God and I also think is really misunderstood about God. I think a lot of people see God as this mean figure who checks off his naughty and nice list. And last week I alluded to how we have this picture of God like Santa Claus looking at us when we're awake or sleeping and judging us. But but that's not what God does. If we actually read scripture, we see all over here. God says, yes, there is a punishment when we do wrong, but we step into that, invite ourselves into it. But on the other hand, when we do what God tells us that we should do, it leads us towards reward and flourishing. And some of the rewards that I have found, and I know others have found from conversation and fasting, are are things like an effectiveness of prayer. A lot of us sit and we wonder why our prayers aren't answered. But what I've realized is that as I come to connect with God in fasting, I start to see things in a different way, in ways that align with what God wants. And so as I pray, we see the answers to those prayers. I've, I've seen an increase in guidance and decision-making. Fasting can be this helpful practice where we tune out the voice of food to tune into the voice of of God and suddenly we can get this clarity if we can rise above the the fuzziness of not eating we can get to this place where we're we're clear and we're focused on God and so when we see these choices before us we can see more clearly where God is moving and leading and it helps us to make the right decisions As we fast, one of the rewards is that our life experiences transformation and we can see the work that the Spirit is doing. Again, as our ugly side rears its head in the absence of food, we can confront this hunger with the hunger that we have for God. And I picture it like a a Venn diagram and right in the middle... When our physical hunger and our spiritual hunger collide, the spirit begins to work and it begins to chisel out things out of our lives so that we grow closer and closer to him. This is how we don't just grow closer to him, but we grow to be more like him. A lot of us say we want to experience more of God. A lot of us say we want to be more effective in prayer. We want to make wiser decisions or we want to look like Jesus more so that more people would know him. But the question is, are we willing to put in the work? You know, a lot of us have come to a place where we experience God and we thank him for what, we've, what he's done. There, there's no question about our love of Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross. There's no question in our mind about the power of Jesus because he rose from the dead and he, he frees us uh, from all our chains of sin and all the weight of the world to be with him. And, and we go there, but then we get to this place where it's following him and we like what's cheap and what's easy and we avoid the hard stuff. Many of us will pursue seeing God more as long as there's no discomfort and we know exactly what we're going to get out of what we give. But how's that cheap and easy discipleship doing for you so far? When I think about this, I think about a friend of mine from college. Her name was Sophia. Sophia had had this big dream that she really wanted to see the mountains she wanted to experience adventure and nature at every turn of her life and so she enrolled in the college program that that i was in called the wilderness leadership program and and it was one of the best opportunities for this. I mean, we had classes outdoor where we would learn to guide people and learn things about the environment that we were in. And it was just this amazing, amazing opportunity to experience the world and, and feel like you were having a life of adventure. But there was a little bit of a problem. Sophia wasn't in the best of shape. And so on one of our first classes, we had the opportunity to hike up the Stawamus Chief. And Many of you know it by The Chief. It's that big, beautiful mountain with the rock face that's in Squamish that we see in pictures or we we see as we drive up to Whistler, and it's this beautiful place. But it's a decent hike to start to get up there. And so in one of our first classes, we're doing a fit test, and they want to see how fit we are to get up the mountain and down the mountain fairly quickly. And so we start going up. And I I remember Sophia was going up, and she gets this point where she's just kind of done. It's getting too hard. And so she, she sits down and, and she decides to wait for the rest of us to come down. And, and Sophia was bummed about this. And I mean, she was just so disappointed. She had this hunger that she wanted to see the view, but she wasn't wanting to push herself to go up that far. And it's not that she couldn't, because I know that later on she was able to accomplish it, but she just didn't want to put in the work. Fast forward a couple of months and we have this opportunity to hike up to Helms Creek. Now Helms Creek is a round trip hike of about 26 kilometers. You gain about a kilometer of elevation as you do this. It's pretty much straight up all the way up there and it is this this intense hike but at the top you end up in this beautiful field where there's this campground and You can see all these beautiful mountains and and something called the Tusk, which is this interesting rock feature. And and, and you get up there and it's just this amazing place to be. And she had seen pictures and she's like, I want to go there and see that for myself in real life. But then what happened is she pulled out the topographic map. She looked at the guidebook and saw that the path of how to get there was not going to be easy. It wasn't going to be cheap. It was going to cost her something. And she said, no way, I'm not doing it. A few of us, though, we were able to kind of encourage Sophia, and we said, hey, come on, this is going to be awesome, and she decided, hey, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so she comes with us, and she starts hiking, and part way up, we get to this really steep section. I remember she said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the car. You guys go on. And that's when Me and and a few of my friends, the Swede and some others, we we come around, Sophia, and we say, hey, let's go finish this hike. You can do it. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be amazing. You're finally going to see what you want to see. And I remember that Sophia grinded her way all the way up to Helms Creek. And I remember when she got to the top, it looked like she had fought death itself. She looked tired. She looked hurting. She was physically in pain. And when she got to the top, I remember her crying. But her crying wasn't because of the pain she was in. It was because she had done it and she had come to experience what she had really wanted. And I'll tell you, what she said almost killed her ended up being something that was so worth it for her. And I know that that led her to new places in her life where she has experienced more and more of what she wanted to experience. The point that I'm trying to make is that we have these hungers. But if if we don't want to put in the work, if we want it just cheap and easy, we won't be able to experience the experiences that are there for us to be had. Jesus told his followers, plain and simple, he said, it will not be easy to follow me. But if you do, it will lead not just to eternal life, but to a life of flourishing here on earth. The question is, do you and I, want to fast, to participate in it. There's all these spiritual disciplines, but here, this one on the table before us, in in God's word, we have to answer this one. Not, am I going to pray? Not, am I going to read the Bible? Not, am I going to come to church? Not, am I going to give to the need? But am I going to give up something that I enjoy and love so that I can experience more joy and something, in fact, someone that I love even more? And it's not going to come easy. It is simple. I mean, all we have to do is pick a time and give up something. And, and you know, whether that's food or some others I know we will try to do other fasts. But, but substitute the time we would have spent preparing food and eating food with worshiping God. In that time, we open ourselves up to the opportunity of experiencing God and allowing his work to take place in our lives. And it's an incredible thing. Now, if your experience will be like mine, there's going to be times where it's humiliating. I mean, it can reveal to you just how broken and awful you are, just how many places you cover up with gluttony and food instead of the pleasure of experiencing and knowing God. There's going to be times where you're going to be discouraged because it's hard. And there's going to be times where you might even finish what you were doing, but because you had the wrong attitude or because you weren't prepared, it just feels like a dud. It's going to be like that, but I promise you that as you stay the course, as you combine not just your dream and hope and hunger for experience, but as you work to sacrifice these other things, God will be glorified as you, as you try and fail, but over time you will learn and experience what God has for you. Dallas Willard writes, when a person chooses fasting as a spiritual discipline, he or she must then practice it well enough and often enough to become experienced in it. Remember, we can't just do this once and we're done, but we need to keep going. And he says, because only the person who is well habituated to systematic fasting as a discipline can use it effectively as a part of direct service to God as in special times of prayer or other service. And so I encourage you to fast. But maybe if you haven't started this practice, do baby steps up the mountain of fasting so that you gain a little bit more and more as you go. For many of us, baby step number one is just to start fasting. And I would suggest to you start a partial fast. Don't try to fast for a whole day. Don't try to fast for multiple days, but just pick a meal. One meal in your day, set it aside and say that I'm not going to eat this meal. And in the time that I would have prepared it and in the time I would have eaten it, I'm going to worship God. And then read your Bible, pray, spend time listening to worship music, read a devotional book, spend time in silence and solitude, go for a walk to try to connect with God and and use that as an opportunity to experience him. And maybe consider doing that one day a week. Pick a day that's going to be most convenient and just practice that once a week for a number of weeks. Now, as you go about that, remember it's going to be hard. There's going to be times where your, your body at first isn't going to like it and it's going to push against you. There's going to be, for those who maybe you're like me and can stand to lose a little bit of weight, you might look for for not the spiritual reward and go hey well i'm actually losing calories so maybe i'm losing a little bit of weight you gotta kind of separate some of these things that'll come up and and be intentional to coach yourself about why i'm really doing it because those ugly things are going to come up and so we go holy spirit take a hold of this make me focused on you and allow him to deal with those things but but don't shove it down and think you're a failure press into it lean into it and allow it to work and And get that practice going for a number of weeks. Then baby step number two is to either expand your fast in terms of maybe instead of just doing one meal, you do two meals. Or instead of one meal, you do a meal in your afternoon snack or something like that and use that time. Or maybe consider doing it twice a week. Maybe you're going to start your work week and end your work week with a fast. Consider different ways and then you can build up from there. There's folks in our church, you, you fast regularly to, to spend time in prayer, to seek God's guidance, to be more effective in, in your ministry, and that's awesome. Maybe consider a longer fast to deal with some of the stuff that comes up in your life a little bit later. Allow yourself to focus your attention on God through fasting from something. Again, I, I see the, the account for, for food all over Scripture, and I think it's a good one because it really dives in deep to the thing that we uh, almost all struggle with. But maybe there's something else, and you know that you have another addiction that's taking you away from God. Maybe it's, it's your phone or social media or something else. Consider fasting from it for a period, allowing yourself to surrender something so that God can do his work. But do all of these things in such a way that you get to know God more and you get to become more like him. And as you prepare for it, view your fast as a feast. Say, I'm not just giving up something. I'm not starving. I'm actually feasting. Two more practical things that I I would encourage you with that I've learned in the meantime. Well, one I've learned and one is just good advice. One is uh, when you break your fast, when it's time to to stop uh, going without your food, I'd encourage you to have something healthy. Maybe have a, a light, healthy meal, a, a salad, some fruit, maybe consider a smoothie, but, but do something light because I think one of the challenges for some people, especially when you start, is you go, okay, I'm going to delay my, my gluttony and you go, once I'm done this, I'm going to reward myself with a double teen burger with fries and onion rings and a big milkshake or something like that, you know, and we, we just go there and all we've done in that moment is, is we've lost sight of what we're surrendering to gain. And so instead of doing that, we just give ourselves something light and refreshing. It'll make you feel better for starters, but it's also a good way to not just let that, 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 that desire for food, that gluttony to, to come up just at a delayed rate. The second thing that's just practical and, and good advice: if you have a medical condition, whether it's you got diabetes or you're pregnant or anything else, you know you need to you may need to seek medical uh, advice before you consider this. But maybe consider talking to your doctor about this and why. And it's a great opportunity to share about your faith, but it's also a great way for you to make sure that you're doing this in a way that's healthy for you holistically, because God wants us to flourish in always. And so we want to flourish physically to the best we can while we flourish, most importantly, spiritually. Finally, let me close with this quote that I, that I have found to be a helpful one. It's from Thomas Akempis, and he said, Whoever, Whosoever knows best how to suffer will keep the greatest peace. The man or woman who is a conqueror of himself or herself and the Lord of the world is the friend of Christ." and the air of heaven. So my prayer for you this week would be that you would learn to starve your hunger so you can feast on God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to consider this topic of fasting. God, we thank you for how you have given us a means of of dealing with what's within us so that we can receive more of you. God, would you help each and every person who's struggling with this idea of fasting? God, some of us just don't like the the discomfort idea of it. Would you help us to surrender that, to recognize Jesus, the discomfort you went through for our salvation, that you went to the cross, that you died for us, that you endured uh, humiliation and punishment for our sin, and God, would that be a catalyst that motivates us to press into what is hard and costly so that we can experience more of you, make you greater known, and see more of your work in our lives. God, for those who are struggling to to try this practice, and it feels like defeat. Lord God, would you allow them to see the work of your Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you do a great work in their lives so that it would catalyze something within them so that they would experience more of you? Lord, for those who, maybe some of us, even fasting has become... Uh, on a regular routine and maybe it's easy i know that's not me but maybe there's someone lord and and god i just pray that you would work in their heart to to not just settle for simple or already doing something and being spiritual but lord god would they press in knowing that there is a never ending amount of work for you to do in our life and there you are a never ending god that you are just so huge that there's more of you to experience and lord would that just Fire them up today to continue to get to know you more. And Lord God, in all of these things, would it be done for your glory. And so we give this over to you and we trust that it can be done by the power of your name through the move of your spirit. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.